I feel pretty confident that from the East Coast to the West Coast, from the Southern border to the Northern border, We're probably the only church in America that sang a song this morning about rolling another joint. <laughs> well, sitting backstage, all of a sudden the lyrics hit me. And I thought, well, God made it. It is what it is. We're in the last week of a teaching series called No Need to Pray. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you today that it's going to be a doozy You maybe should have rolled another joint before you hear this one. Because this one is going to be one of those that every single person here today is going to be able to relate to. Every single person here today is going to have battled today's issue. Every single person today has used the excuse, I'm praying about it, to avoid actually doing today's subject. It's the last week of the series, so we might as well go out in style. And to sum up the series, it's real, real simple. It's a very foundational series. The premise is this, there's simply some things you don't need to pray about. You just need to do. God's already laid it out in his word that we're to do those things, yet our cop-out as Christ followers or our cop-out in our laziness or our cop-out in not wanting to follow the words of Christ is, I'm going to be spiritual and say I'm praying about it. We've used this verse every week. The Bible says in James 4, 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, it is sin. So the Bible says when you know you should do something, and you don't do that thing, we're in sin. So the reality is, is when God commands us to do something and we decide instead of doing it, we're going to use the excuse about praying about it. The reality is we're not being spiritual by praying about it. We're being sinful by not doing it. And we've covered some topics over the last couple of weeks that were pretty basic Today's a real basic topic too, but it's a real hard one to live out. Let me give you a situation. Let me give you a reality. Let me give you something positive today. A word of encouragement, if you will, today. In this thing called life, other people are going to hurt you. How's that for encouraging? Sadly, many times, those that hurt you are those the closest to you. That's why it hurts. It's your loved ones that hurt you. I always say you have to be pretty close to someone to stick a knife in their back. I've been full-time ministry now for about 25 years. Since I was 21 years old, I've been pastoring churches. And in my life, I've had people hurt me. I've had people that I literally, literally drug out of crack houses and helped them get sober hurt me. I've had people that I went to hell 
and back for hurt me. People I have worked and poured into and helped them restore their marriages or helped them discover their purpose or I've just simply been a friend to have come along and hurt me. People that I would have told you I would have went to battle for who have hurt me. And there's no other way around it. When people hurt you, it hurts. It's painful. It sucks. But the Bible has a lot to say about how we're to handle those who hurt us. Our first instinct is to be angry about it. I'm not your instinct, my, my instinct. I know you guys are a lot more in tune with God and a lot more spiritual and a lot less carnal than me. But I, 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 I get angry. I want revenge. I have this amazing ability to hold a grudge. It's super healthy. <laughs> That's my natural flesh. That's my natural emotions. And the problem is so many of us in all kinds of areas of our life, we allow our emotions to control us instead of us controlling our emotions. The reality is, when I hold that grudge against someone who's... Let me, for, for craps and giggles today, I want to see a show of hands. How many say, Gary, somebody has hurt me in my life? Somebody. Raise your hands, raise your hands, raise your hands. Even teenagers got their hands raised. So we're all on the same page today. The problem is when someone hurts us, and we hold on to the hurt, the hurt that we're holding on to doesn't affect them. Because as much as this might hurt you, they're not thinking about you. They don't get up every day giving you a second thought. But you get up every day and you've got that DVR on the mind going and you're replaying it over and over and over. And I don't just replay it. My production studio in my mind isn't one camera. There's multi-angles. So I watch it from this view. I watch it from this view. And I watch it from this view. And then I just upgraded the studio in my mind. And now i got a drone up there. So I, I view it from over the top. I dissect every angle of the hurts. I dissect every freaking word that was said. I can't remember. My wife called me this morning. And I, she is right one time a year. So I guess she got it out of the way early this year. She dropped a hint first. I said, what are you doing? Emptying the dishwasher. I'm clueless. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I didn't bite on her subliminal hint. She said, can I tell you something without you getting mad on a Sunday morning? Uh-huh. I'm still clueless. Yeah, well, what is it? She said, you remember yesterday when I left, I said, hey, can you just do one thing for me and empty the dishwasher? 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Like, I didn't have a good argument. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I... I was watching TikTok. Sorry. Forgot. Like, I can't remember to unload the dishwasher an hour after she tells me to. But you screw me over. Oh, I can remember what you were wearing. I can remember the angle of the smirk on your face when I found out you were screwing me over. I can remember the exact wording to a T on how you did it. I can remember how you held your hands while you did it. I can play it over and over and over. And I can literally kill myself in the process. I've lived this. Recently, I've lived this. I've lived this more times than I care to say in my life. Instant anger, you see the person. Replaying it over and over, keeping tabs, hoping to hear how bad their life is, and then getting mad when you think it's not bad. Angry. Allowing what they did one time to happen to you a thousand times because you can't biblically do what the Bible says to do in that situation. It's exhausting. The Bible has a lot to say about how we're to deal with our enemies. The Bible has a lot to say about how we deal with those who hurt us. The Bible says we're to love our enemies. I didn't get one amen. You know why? Because it sucks. The Bible says we're to pray for our enemies. Didn't get one amen. You know why? Because it sucks. It's hard. And the problem is for so many of us, instead of doing what God tells us to do, we say we're praying to get to that point. There's nothing to pray about. The Bible says do it. And when you do it, you give yourself the greatest gift you can ever give yourself, the gift of freedom. We walk around with that big ball and chain attached to us and it's heavy and it's tiresome and it wears you out. And all we've got to do is learn to control our emotions and to put into biblical principles on how to do it. I didn't say it was easy, but God definitely tells us how to do it. And we give ourselves this amazing gift called freedom. Forgiving those who wronged us. Man, I hate it. But when I do it, it's life-changing. <laughs> Forgiving those who hurt you, it sucks. I think the problem, the reason we struggle so much with forgiving other people is I just don't think we necessarily understand exactly what forgiveness is. I mean, Jesus lived a life of forgiveness. It's not something we need to pray about It's something we simply need to do 
And yes, we struggle with it so much, and I think it's just because we have the wrong notion of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness, and I've said this a thousand times from this stage, forgiveness is not excusing what they did to you. It's not. No excuse for it. They're trash. They hurt you. There's no excuse for it. It's not justifying what they did. I can't forgive. I'm going to hold on to the anger. I don't know about you, but I can tell you how it works with me. For me, it's like a tenseness in the chest. Does anybody else get that? Tenseness and the lock of the jaw. Oh, man, it's bad. But we think, man, if I forgive, I'm justifying what they did. There's no justification for what they did. It's not pardoning what they did. Don't miss this. Forgiving someone who hurts you is not restoring the relationship you had with that person. Fool you once, so saying, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Uh -uh. You hurt me, there is no restoring of our relationship. It's not blindness to what they did. It's not forgetting what they did. It's not minimizing what they did. It's not pretending that what they did did not happen. Forgiveness is simply when we decide to release this person of the debt we feel they owe as a result of all the pain they've caused us. See, we think you hurt me, now you owe me. The problem is we're not powerful enough to collect on that debt. We have no standard on what's their amount of suffering. I've told you this story before. I had a couple one time, and the guy walked in, and he found his wife cheating with another man. They ended. Their marriage was over. I still was counseling her, and I was counseling him. That's a weird dynamic. And I knew her life was falling apart. I knew all this stuff, but I couldn't tell him. But in his world... She was just living life to the fullest. She cheated on him. Life goes on. It was great. She said, I I want to be like, do you not realize how bad she's suffering too? So what's the debt he felt she should pay? There was no justification to it. He just kept replaying it over and over and over in his mind. Forgiveness isn't for the person who wronged you, because here's the reality. Let's just be honest. I, I don't know that Jesus would say it this way but I like to believe you would. Screw the person who wronged you. I don't owe them anything. I sure as hell am not forgiving for their benefit. That's just wrong. I'm just being honest. You ain't got to like it. I don't know that I'll ever come back. That's fine. You go sit under a pastor who's going to sit here and BS you and, and be fake with you because he feels the exact same way because it's human nature to feel that way. I'm just telling you, I'm not forgiving for them. But I'm forgiving for me, for my family. Because when I'm holding unforgiveness, I, boy, everybody knows it. Man, everybody knows it. Instead of walking around waiting for that debt to be paid with whatever payment you feel is necessary, It's just releasing that person and saying, you know what? 
I, I refuse to hold on to that. The problem is, this one's hard. The problem is, we don't want to do this one. And I get it. It wounds our pride. Get it. Wounds our ego, especially for us men. Our crazy notion of masculinity. I'll forgive them after I punch them in the face. But you know what? I've had opportunities to confront people that have hurt me. And tell them everything I thought. And I walked away from that just as angry. Just as much resentment. And actually felt bad for some of the things I said to them. There was no release in that. Putting them in their place did nothing for me. Forgiveness wasn't for them, it was for me. As I've got to the stage of learning to forgive, I'm, I'm realizing that I owe it to myself to forgive. The reality is, We all screw up, we're all sinners. And here's the other reality. Just like we all have someone that did us wrong, there's not a person here today who hasn't done somebody wrong. So the way we feel towards that person, there's someone out there that feels that way towards us. We're all sinners. We all screw up. The good news is we serve a God who delights in forgiving sinners. (laughs) We're not only sinners who receive forgiveness, this is where it gets hard, but we're called by Christ to give forgiveness. We're, We're called by Christ to live like him and model our lives to the best of our ability like him, and you can't read the life of Christ and not see a life of forgiveness. I love Luke 23. To me, it's one of the most amazing examples of forgiveness ever recorded. Jesus here is hanging on the cross, coming up on Easter. We're going to be talking a lot about this, but Jesus is hanging on the cross. Now, let's keep the context in mind. Jesus is completely innocent. He's never, ever sinned. And here he is hanging between two criminals. And the Bible says this, two other men, both criminals were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, one on his left. Now as you read this, I don't think people necessarily always understand because we've seen paintings and drawings and pictures and movie adaptations. And I don't think we really understand what's going on on the cross here. Normally, we see Jesus up high on the cross and two other criminals, and you walk up and you have to look up at him. You kind of mock, and that's not really the way it happened. The cross was the ultimate design in torture. Not only was it to bring physical torture, it was to bring humiliation. 
It was actually very expensive to do a crucifixion. So only the worst of the worst were crucified. The word actually means excruciating pain. Crucifixion does. What they do is they would drive the sticks, the nails through the hands and through the feet. And they would hang on a cross. But here's where they get it wrong. They weren't hung up high. They were hung down low. Their feet were actually about that far off the ground. So they were so close that mentally they thought, man, I can just put one foot down and save myself. But they couldn't. And people didn't walk by and look up at them. They looked by, walked by and they were basically eye to eye with them. And the town had the right to walk by and mock them and spit it on them. That's why when the lady asked for the sponge and they gave it to him, she was able to reach out right and give it to him. They were eye level. You're this, you're that. You disgust me. It was ultimate humiliation. So eye level and everybody's watching and here's an innocent man between two criminals. And he's between these two criminals. And the criminal, one of them begins to mock Jesus. Like, how proudful do you got to be? You're dying, and you're mocking the other guy. You saved others. Why don't you save yourself? Hell, hell, king of the Jews. And he's mocking Jesus on the cross, and they're spitting on him. And at that moment, when creation, when humanity was at its worst, mocking the creator in the flesh, Jesus prayed the most amazing prayer to me that I think I've ever heard. Hanging on the cross, being spit upon, two criminals, one mocking him, people walking by, and he's innocent. He prays this in verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. That's powerful. That's hardcore. I don't know at that moment forgiveness would be what's on my mind. Life's not fair is what would be on my mind. I'm innocent is what's on my mind. If this is God's will, then I don't know that I want to serve that God would be on my mind. Because I am Jesus and I got these powers. Or if I was Jesus, let me clarify. I'd probably zap down a lightning bolt and zap the guy that was mocking me. Hence why I wasn't Jesus. <laughs> I'd probably turn around and look at me like, hey, I'm fixing to go prepare a place called heaven. You're going to hell. Have fun, buddy. Probably give him a stone cold salute. Being honest with you, not Jesus. Father, forgive them. <laughs> He's asking forgiveness for those who are sinning against him in the moment they're sinning against him. In the moment where forgiveness seems totally out of reach and they're doing something that seems completely unforgivable, He's asking for forgiveness. You're going to be hurt by people in life. People are going to do you wrong in life. Some of you right now are carrying huge wounds. 
Someone abused you. Someone took advantage of you. Someone lied to you. Someone cheated you. Someone hurt someone that you love. A lot of times that's even worse. You can hurt me all day long. Don't, don't F with my family. Someone took advantage of someone that you love. Ooh, someone hurt your child. Someone who called himself a Christ follower. I know this is shocking, but didn't act very Christ-like. Some church you were part of did something that just devastated you. I hear stories every week that leave me speechless. Someone hurt you. Whether they even know they hurt you or not, they hurt you. And you're carrying around those wounds. And you're carrying around that anger. And you're carrying around that pain. And you're carrying around that bitterness. And you're carrying around that resentment. And you're replaying it day after day after day. And so they didn't just hurt you once. You're allowing them to hurt you over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And And your pride refuses to forgive. Because you think forgiveness is weakness. Yet Jesus hanging on the cross Dying for the sins of the world. It don't get any more manly than that. Matter of fact, in May, I'm doing a series called Warrior. We're going to be talking about masculinity and looking at the life of Jesus. And he said, Father, forgive them. (laughs) That's powerful. Your boss didn't appreciate you. And you're angry. Your husband... Doesn't honor you. Your wife doesn't seem to love you. Your kids were kids. And the process hurts you. What's even crazier is some of you were hurt and carrying around hurt by someone, and that person's not even alive anymore. They're dead. But you carry around that hurt. And you let them hurt you every day after. I want to make something very clear to you today. Going back to what I said, I'm not justifying what they did to you. I'm not minimizing what they did to you. I'm not excusing what they did to you. Because let me make it very clear to you, there is no excuse for it. And if someone tries to come up with an excuse to your hurt, punch them in the face and then forgive them for it. I don't know what it is. No one has a right to tell you what hurt you and didn't hurt you. We're all different. But I know this, when we're carrying around that hurt, when we're praying about forgiving those people, we're just allowing them to hurt us over and over. And as the days go by, the bitterness gets harder and the resentment gets harder and the anger gets more. And it's like a fire that you just keep flame, you keep blowing oxygen to. And suddenly a fire unattended will do so much damage that you can't control it. So we've got to learn how to let go of that. Some of you might not even be something big. It might have been a bunch of small things. A spouse who never helps you. A boss, again, who never appreciates you. It's little things, they just mount up over and over and over and over and over. Maybe it's just someone who thinks no matter what you do, you're never good enough. I don't know. 
Some of you, something happened to you. And not only are you angry at the person who did it to you, you're angry at God. You ever been there? Been a couple of times me and God have thrown down. It never ends well for me. But thrown down. I'm mad at God. Why would God allow this to happen? Some of you, the problem is the person you're mad at is you. You did something to someone and you can't forgive yourself. Every time you look in that mirror, it's staring back at you. The person that you've grown to hate, the person that you resent, yourself. See, sometimes it's really easy for me to forgive others and not so easy for me to forgive myself. Especially when I see the damage that my decisions have caused. So we need to stop praying about forgiving those who hurt us, those who we actually consider enemies, because the Bible specifically uses that word. And we need to start doing it. All right, let's go home. Don't you wish it was that easy? Dang, Gary's so good, man. He just told me to forgive, and I decided to clip a switch and forgive him. Praise God. I've been to churches like that my whole life where they get up and rant and rave and tell you what you ought to do. I'm thinking, God, if it was that easy, I'd do it. Tell me how to do it. Well, I can't. But this book can. And this book lays it out. (laughs) The book lays it out. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. It's not easy. But it's life-changing. It's not easy. Oh, God, it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. But it's life-changing. Anything worth having is worth working for. Yeah. We think, especially the society, we just want everything handed to us. Life's hard. Marriage is hard. If, if marriage was easy, there'd be no divorce. It's hard. You've got to work at it. Taking care of your body, hard. So you just eat healthy. That's not easy. you got sinners like Crystal or Post. Look, look at my cheesecake, and it's so amazing. And here's my cookies. I'm eating broccoli. I'm not eating broccoli, but I'm saying hypothetically if I was eating broccoli. It's hard. Forgiving's hard. It's hard. The Bible gives us the answers right here. Luke 6. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. But how? I'm going to give you four ways today. Four probably 
the most life-changing principles I will ever give you. I don't say that lightly. I'm preaching to myself today because I have some areas in my life of unforgiveness. And here's how the unforgiveness happens for me. I do real good with it for about two months. I think I'm past it. Even though I ain't done none of the things I'm going to talk to you about. I think I'm done. Good. Forgave that person. And something triggers me. And my rage that was at a six is now at a nine because all I did was push it down. Push it down and push it down and push it down and push it down. Because especially men, that's the word. Just push it down. Put a cap on it. It's good. Good. You can only push something down so much for what you're pushing it down to explodes. The problem is if I'd have handled it months ago, the explosion wouldn't have happened and the collateral damage from my explosion now I'm the one in the wrong needing forgiveness got to put it into play first thing we're going to do take out your phone and take pictures it's rare that I say it's that good but I'm telling you it's that good today I take no credit for this today the years and years of me dealing with this first thing we're going to do is we're going to defer to God We're going to defer to God. Let me make this very clear to you today. In order to bless those who hurt you and pray for those that have hurt you, in order to quit dragging the ball and the chain around that's holding you back, in order to finally quit allowing that person to hurt you every day as you replay it every day and every day, you have to defer to God. You can't do it on your own. I'm just being honest with you. You can be the most laid-back, dope-smoking, hippie, love-every-person-in-the-world. But when someone does you wrong, in your flesh, in your natural state, you cannot forgive on your own. You've got to defer to God. You've got to realize that in order to forgive someone who has hurt you, it is a God thing. I can't stress that enough. In the natural, you can't do it. we got to go to the supernatural. The only way for me to do this is for me to say, man, God, man, God, you should, like my prayers should be a reality show. Because this is how it goes to me. God, I hate that mofo. God, I hope you kill them. And then I justify it, Randy. I'm like, he just said pray for me. He didn't tell me how to pray. Problem is, when I'm praying for God to kill a man, I don't, I don't get it released that way. God, this is your thing. You talked about forgiveness. You lived out forgiveness. You've told me that you'll forgive me as I forgive others. I got to give it all to you because I can't do it on my own. God... You have forgiven me the ultimate debt. I need to do it for others, but I can't on my own. Hmm. Great story in the book of John, chapter 20. A little context here. Jesus has just risen from the dead. His brave disciples are locked in a little room, scared to death that they're about to be next. And Jesus walks up 
on the scene, first time they've seen him. And look what the Bible says, John 20, 22. He walks up, and with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Don't go ahead, Xander. Receive the Holy Spirit. I do not want to get into theology today. I do not want to break down what receiving the Holy Spirit means. A lot of different groups have been debating that for thousands of years, and we'll find out the truth when we get to heaven. But here's the deal. He came up to them and he told them to receive the Holy Spirit. I have heard preacher after preacher in my life get up and use this verse. But I have never in my life heard them use this verse and then go to the next verse, which the next verse would logically be a continuation of the first verse. So 23 would be a continuation of 22. So he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Then look what he goes into in verse 23. He says, immediately, receive the Holy Spirit. I don't really know why I just did that. I don't know if that's how it went down. That's how it would have went down if I was God. It would have went in your mouth. Why? Because I saw it in the movie and it looked cool. He said, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. That's powerful. The Holy Spirit of God is now coursing through the veins of the disciples. And the first thing that Jesus addresses to them is they now have the power to forgive. Or the Holy Spirit, they, they, I don't know that humanly they had the ability to forgive those who hurt them. It's a God thing. Receive the Holy Spirit, boom, let's talk about forgiveness. He didn't talk about forgiveness first. He said, you, it's a God thing. When you begin to walk in the Spirit, when you begin to get into the Word, when you begin to prioritize your life after the life of Christ, when you begin to implement the principles of Christ into your life, then, only then, you move from the natural to the supernatural, and we have the ability to do what we can't do in our flesh, and that's forgive those who wronged us. I know that's deep, but listen to me. That's good preaching. I don't care if a white boy is doing it. That's like wave your hanky preaching right there. I've seen some black ones be able to get up on stage and do it, and everybody goes crazy, but a white one's getting to do it today. I'm talking about once you're walking in the Spirit, you have the ability to forgive those who have wronged you. You say, I don't know that I can do it. Then my question is, are you walking in the Spirit? Have you deferred to God? Jesus had just done the ultimate work of forgiveness on the cross. He had died. He had paid the debt. His resurrection was evidence that a perfectly righteous life could be sacrificed for all our sins. And now he's talking back to us. So everybody wants to say, when you receive the Spirit, you'll speak in tongues and you'll do this and you'll promise. And I'm not saying you won't do any of that stuff, but here's what I am saying. The Bible makes it clear that once you receive the Spirit, we believe you receive the Spirit when you accept Christ and you're walking in the Spirit. You have the ability to forgive. You've got to defer to God. You cannot do it on your own, and that's the problem with so many of you. You're trying to get through this thing called life on your own. If you're ever going to be able to forgive those who hurt you, you've got to realize that forgiveness comes from one place and one place only, God. The flesh can't do it. It can't. So if it comes from God, we've got to defer to God 
in those situations. God, I don't want to forgive. That's how my prayers go. God, I hate this person. But you forgive me. And I need you to give me the power to forgive them. Because if I don't forgive them, I can't release myself from the debt that I'm carrying around, the frustration I'm carrying around, the weight that I'm carrying around, and I'm taking it out and living my life less than what you intended for me to live. I've got to refer to God. I call it dropping the F-bomb. Just give him a big F-U. That's forgiveness. Not the other words, you horrible sinners. That's the ultimate F-bomb, the forgiveness bomb. So we're going to defer to God. Got to do that before you do anything else. Then we're going to decide to take the initiative. Just decide to take the initiative. You cannot control what has been done to you. But you can control how you respond to it. I can't control my emotions. Sure you can. No, I can't. Yeah, you can. Let me tell you how. I've used this example before too. How many of you have ever been fighting with your wife? I know y'all don't fight with your wives around here, but having a disagreement. Things are heated. Ever? Raise your hand. Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Okay, four of you. The rest of you are liars. I mean, I don't agree, and you're going at it back and forth. And then the phone rings. You in the middle of throwing down. Hello? Hey, dude, what's up, man? No, I'm just hanging out at the house. A minute ago, you was yelling. You was knocking bottles over. You was kicking stools over. She's screaming at you, but you, you controlled your emotions suddenly. You didn't answer for What? Damn, wife's got me mad. I'm mad at hell right now. Why are you calling me? Don't do that. We decide, oh, smack, they're calling. Hello. I mean, you looking at her mean, you flipping her the bird, but on the phone, boy, you calm. We can control our emotions when we want to. You got to decide to take the initiative. You can't control what's been done to you, but you can tr- control whether or not you allow that person to keep doing it to you. God gives us the grace and the forgiveness to be able to love our enemies. But we have to choose whether or not we're going to implement that. Like I said earlier, here's the reality. The person who hurt you is not even thinking about you. I, I hate that for you. They're not even thinking about you. A couple of years ago, I got an email from somebody from my previous life. I've got to get this off my chest. So it had been 10 years at that time. Every day I get up mad at God and resentful at the church. All these things about me. His emotions were his emotions. I'm not saying he was wrong. But here's what I am saying. I had to take his name out of the email, put it into Facebook, to even know who he was. I hate that my actions had made that guy that tore up for 10 years. I hadn't thought about him one time because I didn't even know who he was. Think about that. That guy's been angry and resentful, and I'm not even thinking about him. I'm affecting that dude's life every day. 
Because he won't take the initiative to be like, man, I don't ever got to see that guy again. He's gone. I mean, I'm done. Boom, boom, boom. They hurt you. But you keep letting them hurt you by holding on. You know the thing I've learned, the only thing I can control? The only thing I can control is what I can control. I can't control other people's actions. I can only control how I choose to respond to those actions. Christine can't control me. She can't. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not even trying to be funny. She can't. She can tell me all day long, I wish you wouldn't do this and do that, or I wish you wouldn't respond that way, or post that. Then they, I can do whatever I want to. And she can do whatever she wants. I can't control her. It's like a wild stallion. Red hair coursing through her veins. She's like a wild horse. You know anybody, anybody watch Yellowstone? And they break them wild horses. Yeah, they think they break them. They're still wild. And they will kick you in the face at any moment. You can only control what you control. I can only control what I can control. When it comes to blessing and praying for others, I can control that because guess what? I just got to decide to take the initiative. I didn't say it was easy, but it's a decision. Think about all the stories Jesus told, all the parables. So many of those stories were simply people taking the initiative. Think about the prodigal son. He cruised away. His father took the the initiative when he came back home. The father didn't have to forgive him when he came home. The father took the initiative to forgive him. The father would have been okay to never see him again, and society would have said, that's okay. But the father was looking for him and said, when he comes home, I'm going to forgive him. Remember, I talked a couple of weeks ago, there was about a king, and he had bling bling. It was, a, I don't know, about a couple months ago. And he gave the $10 million debt to the person, and the, the person went to him and said, oh, forgive it. And the king took the initiative to forgive the debt. King didn't have to forgive the debt. He took the initiative to do that. Jesus told a story about one time this wealthy guy, he hired a worker at the 11th hour, and he paid the guy at the 11th hour the same amount of money he paid the people who had worked out all day. Another guy's got mad, but that guy took the initiative. He said, I'm going to bless this guy in the same way I'm blessing you guys. Remember, Jesus tells a story about a guy throwing a huge banquet. It's a black tie affair. And he sent the servants out to the highways and the byways. And he found anybody. He said, everybody come in. He brought all the people in who didn't deserve to be there at the bank. He brought everybody in. He took the initiative. He invited them to sit at the table. Point is this. We serve an initiative taking God. God is all about, oh, man, we're getting deep here today. How about this? God is all about preemptive forgiveness. He hung on the cross before you were ever even thought of. And died for your sins you hadn't even committed yet. He made the decision early on. I was on a podcast recently with Randy. Remember, we had our wives on there. And I can't remember exactly what the question was worded. If your wife did X or your husband did X, would that end your marriage? I can't, I can't remember exactly. And I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be hard, blah, blah. And it stuck with me after that when I kept thinking about it. I don't want anything to end my marriage. Now, I hope that doesn't, I'm giving her a license to go crazy. She's giving me a license, but I, I, I like to think no matter what she did, I've already forgiven. 
because I choose to forgive. I didn't say it'd be easy. And we could work through it. And it bothered me that I didn't answer that the right way. And I thought about that a lot. Serve initiative taking God. See, the Bible says this in Romans 12, 18. I hate this verse. If it's possible, as far as it depends on who? 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 As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as I can live at peace with everyone, it's my job to live at peace with everyone. But Gary, they did this. It doesn't say as far as it depends on them. I hate this verse. I wish the Bible, I wish the Bible was like Golden Corral. Because if it was Golden Corral, I'd eat three things: mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese, and steak. I don't go to the buffet and eat it all, but this ain't a buffet. You gotta eat what's on your plate. Sometimes it's hard. We had to teach our kids growing up, you eat certain things. Luke used to make himself sick. Over mashed, like mashed potatoes. He'll eat french fries, hash browns, but not mashed potatoes. No, you eat them mashed potatoes. Sometimes you got to shove it down. You, gotta, you know how sometimes something's so bad you just got to drink a lot of water while you're eating it? Like Christine, she'll slave in there, bless her heart, and she wants me to eat vegetables. And I just don't believe in vegetables. I just don't believe in them. I believe vegetables are for animals, for animals that taste good, where I can eat the animals. Hence, by eating the animals, I'm eating the vegetables. But she's been spicing it up in the kitchen with the green beans lately. A little Parmesan in there, a little bacon in there. She's stirring it all up. Let me be real honest with you. You can't put a tuxedo on a pig. It's still a pig. No matter what she does, they're green beans. But I respect and I love her that she's been slaving her. So here's what I do now. I load up a fork. I don't want 20 small bites. We can wait three big bites. And I got the drink in my hand. I look at her. I make sure she sees me smile because she sees me smile. She's going to look way back at her food. And I make myself swallow it. That's how this verse is for me. Because I know you find this surprising. I like confrontation. I like controversy. I know you're shocked. I seem so t- meek and mad. It says as far as it depends on me, I am to live at peace with everyone. I've got to decide to take the initiative to live at peace. It's a powerful verse because this verse says nothing about the other person. It puts the ball in my court. Whether or not we forgive their actions has nothing to do with them. They haven't asked for my forgiveness. They probably never will. It's not about them asking, it's about you giving. And it doesn't mean you've got to call them and let them know you've forgiven them. You're just giving yourself the peace of forgiving by deciding to take the initiative. You've turned it over to God, you've deferred to God, and now you're deciding to take the initiative. Hard, but life-changing. I'm going to pray about it. Don't pray about it. Ain't nothing to pray about. He told you to do it. The thing he told you to pray about was your enemies. You ain't praying about that. Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other as Christ forgave us. I am Gary freaking Lamb. I don't say that in an arrogant way. I'm saying I could write a book 
on all the horrible things I've done. I'm the last person in this building that should be up here today. That God forgives me. And yet, I can't forgive others. Something's wrong with that picture. We're going to defer to God. We're going to decide to take the initiative. This one's key right here. They're all good. We're going to disengage from our emotions. I got to. Because I don't feel like forgiving those who hurt me. Does anybody out there be like, yes! Just raise your hand. I love forgiving those who screwed me over. Anybody? I just love it. It's so amazing. No, I hate it. I got disengaged from my emotions. My emotions get me in a lot of trouble. I'm a passionate person. I don't feel like it. I don't like them. I don't want to forgive them. I don't like them. I'm pissed at them. They did something to me that I can never forget. They weren't there for me when I was at my lowest. I don't want to do it. My feelings are not there. I'm not going to forgive till I feel like it. Problem is, I never feel like it. The longer and longer it goes on, you say, time heals all wounds. What a crock of crap. No, it doesn't. Not a, no, no wounds. It doesn't. You're wrong. Unless you're putting the biblical principles in place. Time makes it worse. Because I watch them living their best life. By my definition. I've got to disengage from the emotions. My emotions will lead me astray. My wife's told me before, I said, do you love me? Oh, I love you. But I don't like you right now. If she only loved me when she felt like loving me, we'd be in bad shape. Disengage from your emotions. My kids are alive today because I've learned to disengage from my emotions when they screw up. You got to live on the other side of your feelings. Feelings are freaky. We can't trust feelings. I got to be honest with you. Bubba, what did I tell you backstage a few minutes ago? I said, man, I'm ready to get done. I'm hungry. So I told him before I walked out. I said, I'm hungry. I don't feel like being here today. I'm tired. So if I went on my feelings, I wouldn't have showed up today. That alarm went off today, man. I was deep in sleep. I feel like being here. It's been a long week. This Saturday, my craziness starts. April's craziest month of the year for me professionally. I'd love to be in the bed right now. But I don't live where my feelings are. I have a responsibility to be here. If I don't feel like forgiving them, I've learned that probably means I need to forgive them. 
Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the moment Christ comes into our lives, the Holy Spirit comes into us, and it produces fruit. So if I plant an apple seed, I get what? You guys are smart. If I, do oranges have seeds? Do if I produce an orange seed, I get what? An orange? I know, I know, listen, I know Cherokee education, this is hard. If I, if I plant an avocado seed, I get a what? I've never planted an avocado seed and got an, okay, I've really never planted an avocado seed, period, I'm lying to you. But I would expect to get an apple. The Bible says there's some fruit that comes out of following him. It produces this supernatural thing. And one of those fruits in Galatians 5 is self-control. That means not being controlled by our emotions. Not feelings, not emotions, self-control. We disengage from our emotions if we want to be able to forgive. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, remember your sins no more. He doesn't just say, man, I just, don't, I just forgot them. He says, no, I choose to blot out your transgressions. I, I choose not to remember them anymore. We've got to disengage from our emotions. You'll see, as you study the life of God, God, believe it or not, is an emotional God. His emotions run the gamut. But he says, I choose to forgive. He disengages. The mi- oh, this is good. I didn't even know I wrote this down. I must have stole this from somebody. The miracle of forgiveness isn't forgetting what was done to you. It's remembering it and choosing to forgive even though our emotions rage. Give me goosebumps. Read that again. The miracle of forgiveness isn't forgetting what was done to you. It's remembering and choosing to forgive anyway. Can't do that in the flesh. You got to disengage from the emotions. Last and I'm done. We're going to defer to God. We're going to decide to take initiative. We're going to disengage from our emotions. And last, we're going to deliver our enemies to God. Guess what? Let me shock you here. Nowhere does the Bible say you can't have enemies. It just says pray for them. It says bless them. It says love them. In life... You're going to have enemies. You might not use that word, but you're going to have people you simply dislike because they hurt you. You're going to have people you simply want nothing to do with because they hurt you. Sometimes those people are your family. It is what it is. No one can hurt you like family. Not because they're the closest to us. And because they hurt us, it hurts worse. This one's hard. This is me saying, man, I'm not going to handle them the way I think they ought to be handled, my emotional way. I'm going to trust God to handle them in the way that he sees fit. Because make no mistake about it, 
I didn't say delight your enemies to God. I said deliver them. I didn't say we're going to sit back and delight them. But here's the reality. There's consequences for our sin. I've hurt people in life, and there's consequences for it. I still deal with those consequences, some of those consequences 20 years later. It is what it is. Forgiveness doesn't mean no consequences. If I go to a bar, I get drunk and get into a fight, and a guy hits me with a cue ball or a pool stick or whatever, knocks my eyeball out, and I sober up, and I never drink again, I never go to a bar again, never fight again, my eye doesn't grow back. Consequence for that. Consequences for our actions. There'll be consequences. It simply says, God, I trust you to deal with them. <laughs> check it out, check it out, check it out. And deal with them, God, the way I'd want you to deal with me. Ain't it funny? I want people to suffer boils and locusts eating their skins away. But when I hurt people, I just want forgiveness. I don't look at God and say, God, I hurt that person. Give me them boils. What I deserve. Deliver your enemies to God. Luke 6, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. It's hard. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Give them to God. God, you do with them as you see fit. But when you don't get the external punishment from them you see, or you think you want to see, just remember, just remember, just remember, God forgave you in the same way without destroying you. I had a person screw me over one time, and I said, I am going to destroy you. I had every intention. And I, I did a pretty good job for a while, and I almost took delight in it. And I began to obsess over it. And got unhealthy in it. Then I began to pray for that individual. Oh, I'm going to tell you, it was hard to pray for him. Sometimes I couldn't even get, Lord, I pray for blank. I'd stop praying. Then I got to pray, God. I dig what they're going through right now. I'm just going to be honest with you. I dig it, God. They're suffering. Awesome. So you prayed that, so I prayed. Yeah. And the more I'd pray that, my heart began to soften. God, maybe don't kill them. Just make them suffer a little bit. It's hard. Then it becomes, God, I, I pray for them, and I, I hope you restore them. Lord, I pray that you use them, and I mold them, and their relationships, and bless them. I ain't quite to this point, that point yet. But I, I see it coming. 
Because I'm tired of being captive to it. I'm, I'm tired of packing it down and then exploding. I'm like a tornado through my house. I got to let go. That person ain't thinking about me. They've moved on. Stop praying about forgiving those who hurt you and start doing it. Defer to God. Decide to take the initiative. Deliver them to God. Disengage from your emotions. It's hard. Oh, man, but I'm going to tell you something. It's life-changing. 